I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham. Your guide to the New York Jets, sports, and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming after the Week 9 loss on Monday Night Football to the New England Patriots. The New York Jets fall to 0-9 as the Patriots get to 3-5. And And honestly, even without Sam Darnold, this was the most enjoyable game to watch all year. I know it ended in a loss, but they all have. And when you saw the Jets come out and play this game, it was remarkably entertaining. Joe Flacco at quarterback. Unfortunately, it's the first time all season that we've had all of our three main playmakers in the receiving game available. That would be Crowder. Perriman, and Mims. And honestly, it looked like we had our full cast of characters out there because this was our best passing performance. And we saw Joe Flacco play some games earlier this season where he was really struggling. So it's not to look at Sam Darnold and say, well, how come he wasn't able to do this and Joe Flacco could? Believe me, Flacco has been inconsistent in this system. The difference is, one, the competition you're playing against a New England Patriots team that is nowhere near what they were and actually a pretty horrible team. And two... We had our cast of characters. There's no Le'Veon Bell, but when you're playing with all of your starters across the board at your playmaking positions on offense, you should expect to see a little more output. And in this week, we did. The New York Jets lose 30-27. to They're 0-5 at home now, but putting up 27 points, scoring three touchdowns in this game, all passing touchdowns, throwing for 260-plus yards. Joe Flacco with a 128 quarterback rating. I mean, Dawa Loggins was... Drawing up some pretty good play calling in reality compared to what we've seen this year. And I know that we've had pretty good first halves a few times, a few weeks in a row, specifically with Loggins calling the plays. This week it carried over through the third quarter. Kind of got flat in the fourth quarter. Some mistakes there that ended up to lose this game. But, you know, you're watching this thing. A lot of Jets fans are actually rooting for the Jets to lose. There is no way at all in my being that I can watch the New York Jets play against the Patriots on Monday night football and root for them to lose. Not happening. I'm rooting heavily for the Jets to win. They don't. So I'm disappointed. But I've still got optimism because the end result was a good competitive football game, better than we've seen. Real growth from our rookies. Some stuff to be you know, pretty excited about moving forward. And, you know, if you're looking at that draft standing, you potentially are seeing some uh, some really good capital in the draft in upcoming years. Potentially the first overall pick. We will get to that shortly. So 
We got a lot to get into this episode. We don't have to do a preview of uh, the game next week because we got a bye week. So we won't do any of that, but we're going to talk some injuries, AFC East, do a little bit of the draft standings, talk about the tank that is potentially on right now. We're going to do team stats, player stats, offense, defense, special teams, and then we're going to do what's on top, what's on tap, and father time. So lots of good stuff in this one. A lot to get into. Before we start, got to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. You can find it, as you know, under the Gang Green Nation podcast. Series title, This is the Jet Life. I think we're at episode uh, 70 or so. So for all those of you who've been with me for however long, whether you're just starting now or listening for a few years now, I appreciate the support. Appreciate you guys listening. And uh, one day there will be good winning football to report on. It was not intended to be some losers podcast talking about what the team did wrong and how they have to set fire to the whole thing and rebuild it. It was supposed to be this positive thing, you know, kind of leading you through a playoff team and and (laughs) what makes the engine roll. Anyways. All right. Start with some injuries in this game. Makai Becton starts the game. He's been banged up a little bit so far this year. He had a chest injury. It sounds like he's going to be just fine. Had x-rays and all that. Looks 100% good. It's possible that he got the wind knocked out of him. Maybe he's not had the wind knocked out of him very many times, being a guy that big. Um, you know, that sort of a thing. It sounds like he's going to be okay. With the bye week coming up, he's got time to to rest. But he's one of those guys that is a huge impact player. And the team got instantly worse the second he left the game. We were powerful. We were dominant to that left side early running. When he left, it was an area of weakness. And so, you know, nothing against Juma Adoga, but Makai Becton is elite. He's that guy. He's the, you know, the, that blue chip player of this draft class that's just like really, really important to the future. So hopefully he's going to be okay. You don't want to put him in positions to be injured uh, further. You know, you want to see him as healthy as you possibly can to end this season, not just beat this guy up. We don't want to have some last minute surgery that's going to potentially carry into next year. Guy's injured. Get it taken care of now. We've got uh, bigger fish to fry in the future. Brian Poole left the game with a knee injury. He was questionable to return. Not sure exactly how he's looking there. Going to have to wait for some results on that. Um, other players that are just kind of coming back from injury right now. Sam Darnold didn't play in this game. Quinn Williams didn't play. Blake Cashman. Cameron Clark hasn't played yet. And then you got kind of like a nicked up. Of course, you got nicked up Beckton and Poole. You got a nicked up Crowder. A bunch of other guys like Perriman are just coming back. Mims could use a little bit of time. I think that this bye week right now is actually going to be really helpful for the New York Jets. And when you look at it, we're probably going to be the healthiest we've ever been coming out, going up against the Chargers. Probably going to have Sam Darnold back, I hope. Beckton's out there. Our full cast of characters. And then some extra guys like Quinn and Williams back out on the field. I mean, this is going to be potentially the most stacked roster, if you want to call it stacked, but the best equipped roster that we've had all season long. So that's something to look forward to. We do have two weeks to get there so we can enjoy some other games and some some winning football from other teams in the meantime. Quick check-in on the AFC East. The Bills still leading that thing at 7-2. and two. They beat the Seahawks in a shootout game this week. Really interesting. That team's been a little bit hot and cold. They've kind of fell flat a couple times that made you lose a little bit of faith in that team, like maybe they're not all there. But then beating a team like the Seahawks this week, putting up as many points as they did, over 40 points. I mean, the Bills look like, you know, they're not going to be there every single week, but when they're on, they can beat teams. They can beat good teams. Next game for them is against the Cardinals. 
Speaking of the Cardinals, the Dolphins just played them to go to five and three, second place in the division. Tua Tungavailoa, after a really quiet first week, throwing under 100 yards and, and not being asked to do much, actually came out in this game, had some really good drives, made some really good plays, and, you know, we're not rooting for the guy, but so far for him, he's starting to, he looks comfortable. He looks like he's, he kind of knows what he's good at, what he can do, and, uh, you know, so far so good for them. That team continues to roll five and three. They're going to be looking for the playoffs. See what they can do this week. They are playing against the Chargers. That's the team that the Jets will be playing the following week. So if you want to do a little scouting beforehand, good divisional game, you can watch the Dolphins play up against them. The Patriots, three and five now after beating the Jets. Their next game's against the Ravens. That's going to be, I think it's either Sunday or Monday night football. So I can't wait to watch that game. Hopefully we can watch the Ravens absolutely trounce that team. At this point, they've got three wins. They're not going to be in that like top five drafting range where they're going to be looking for some elite quarterback prospect of probably Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. So that's good news because you don't want them to be too powerful. I think actually a lot of Patriots fans were hoping that they'd lose this game because not only do they want to knock the Jets down to worst drafting position, but they're actually thinking in their heads like, all right, we obviously know that we have to get some new pieces on this team and we haven't drafted high in a long time. Maybe this is our time to get up there and get some new young talent, elite talent on this roster. So uh, we'll see what happens. That Ravens game could be good. So those are some things that we can watch for the AFC East coming up. But the Jets still in the basement, 0-9 with a bye week. This would be a great time to fire Adam Gase, if we're being honest right now. Let's just, you know, get ready to go towards the future with somebody else and, and just get him out of there before he does any more damage to our players. But I think the reason that we're not getting rid of Adam Gase, the reason he's going to continue to be here, is the plan actually is to have decent draft position and really rebuild this team through the draft. And you have more draft capital more possibility and options if you pick earlier and you pick earlier if you lose games and Adam Gase helps the team do that. So I think there's a potential scenario where Joe Douglas and company are looking at this like he might be the best guy for the job. What do you want to do? You want to put in Greg Williams as the head coach, let him fire up the guys to a two to four wins to close out the season. They still are a far cry from even looking at the playoffs and now they're drafting eighth overall, can't get a quarterback and they're in this situation. I think they're worried about something like that. Right now, the New York Jets at 0-9, they are set to pick first in the draft. The team right behind them, the Jacksonville Jaguars at 1-7. and Now, we talked about this last week. This is a scary one if you're looking at drafting first because they're playing a sixth-round rookie quarterback who, don't get me wrong, looked okay in his first game against the Texans but is not a guy who's probably going to be winning games against tough teams. And that team has a really hard schedule. Not only does that mean that they're going to be playing difficult teams and they're probably not going to win any games, but that actually gives them an advantage in the draft category, the way that you pick if you have the same record. If the Jets end up, say, 1-15, the Jaguars are 1-15, the tiebreaker will be strength of schedule, and the Jaguars having that schedule overall, it's weaker than the Jets. So they probably will pick first. But they've played a lot of their easy games so far. And they've got all the hard ones left. So we'll just, just looking at this thing. The Jets, for the remainder of the season, will play the Chargers, Dolphins, Raiders, Seahawks, Rams, Browns, and Patriots. I think realistically, some teams that are beatable in there, Chargers and Dolphins, maybe even Raiders, Rams and Browns, I mean, all those teams are somewhat beatable. I think specifically Browns, Chargers, Dolphins, Patriots. So there's four teams that 
maybe you could be. Now, don't get me wrong. They won't win maybe any of those games. But those are teams that potentially can have bad weeks. We've seen them have bad weeks. The Jaguars, at 1-7, and seven, they play the Packers, Steelers, Browns, Vikings, Titans, Ravens, Bears, and Colts. When you're looking at that, that is a lot of playoff teams. And sure, if you look at a team like you could say the Vikings or the Titans are beatable, maybe the Bears or the Browns are beatable, but those are still good teams, better than teams like the Chargers that the Jets get to play or the Patriots that the Jets get to play. So realistically, the point of the matter is with a sixth-string or sixth-round quarterback rookie playing for the Jaguars, don't expect them to win. That means that if the Jets win one game this year for the remainder of the season, they probably will be picking behind the Jaguars, in which case Trevor Lawrence is probably out for the Jets. Now, that brings me to the next segment that we're going to talk about, and that is the tank, a controversial topic because some fans want to win. Some fans don't want to tank. Some fans are obsessed with Trevor Lawrence, really want him. Others want to see Sam Darnold thrive in an opportunity. They want to see the pick traded away. There's a lot of different opportunities and routes that Joe Douglas can go. He's going to have opportunity. But for me, in week nine, there is absolutely no reason to get your heart or mind set on a guy like Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence will be drafted number one overall in this draft. And it's a very, very difficult route for the Jets to end with zero wins. I'm just, I'm being honest here. The Jets are a bad team, but 0-16 has only happened in a 16-game season twice. Lions and Browns, two historically horrible teams. The Jets are getting healthy now. They have some decent players, and they play some pretty weak teams. I mean, we saw the Jets almost win last night. They easily could have won that game. I'm not going to join in some conspiracy and say that they lost this game on purpose, but there were some things that easily could have been cleaned up, some 12 men on the field penalties, some other stuff that... Really could have cleaned this game up and maybe given the Jets a win. But when you look at, like, last year, the worst team in the league had two wins. That'd be the um, Cincinnati Bengals. The year before, Arizona Cardinals, worst team in the league with three wins. It's not very often that you've got a team with zero wins and a team with one win. Usually the worst is two, three wins because teams just find ways to win games. Even the worst team in the league, a team with as bad as what the you know Cardinals were before Kyler Murray. They still find a way to win some games. The Bengals, without Andy Dalton, no Joe Burrow, just playing backup quarterbacks, that team found a way to win some games here and there. And if you're sitting here and you're going to like lay it all on the New York Jets losing every single game, and the only way you can be happy is if they lose every single thing, that's just not fair to this team. Because I think they've got too much talent. Not that they have enough to be a good team, but they have too much talent to be top three worst team of all time. And they're about to be pretty healthy moving forward. So to a certain level, you got to just kind of let go and just say, let's watch the season. Let's see how this team progresses. We probably won't get the first pick. We're going to be picking in that two, three, four, five range. And that's okay. We can still get a lot of damage done there. It doesn't have to be Trevor Lawrence. We got to have backup plans. And if so be it, at the end of the year, the New York Jets haven't won a game or the Jaguars have won some extra games and we're still picking first overall, then we can have that conversation and talk about a guy like Trevor Lawrence. We've got a lot of work to do before we get there. And the Jets, these, a lot of these players are going to be fighting. I mean, Joe Douglas didn't draft a bunch of ex-college team captains because he wanted them to come in here and roll over. These are guys that have a lot of heart. And a lot of these guys are going to keep playing as the year goes on. So that's the scoop with a tank. All righty, let's talk team stats in this game. And being a 30-27 to game where the New York Jets played well, the team stats actually reflect that. For the most part, looking through this thing, 
Pretty good looking game. First downs way off. Patriots 30, Jets 18. But when you look at stuff like total yards, the Patriots had 433. They won. We had 322. We don't often get over 300 yards of offense. We averaged 7.3 yards per play, more than the Patriots 5.7. I mean, we were getting some big plays in there. 257 passing yards for the New York Jets. We only had 65 rushing yards. And that was a little bit of an issue. The minute Mekhi Becton came out and that left side wasn't as strong as it was, we had a little bit more trouble running the ball. We don't have that explosiveness. We didn't have any big gainers. Joe Flacco didn't run at all in this game. And so 65 yards all we had there at 3.6 yards per rush. The Patriots with, you know, a bigger stable of backs and Cam Newton, a running quarterback. They had 159 rushing yards. That's a lot. That's kind of the difference in where they outgained us. Passing yards was pretty even, 257 to 274. But the reason they had 100 more total yards is because they had basically 100 more rushing yards. But look at some other categories. What are some things we like to talk about? Penalties. The New York Jets in this game, four penalties for 32 yards. Better than the Patriots, six for 81. I mean, 32 yards of penalties is really good for an undisciplined team like the New York Jets. It's a couple weeks in a row where we've been pretty good in that penalty column. I think we're starting to get a little bit better there. Third down efficiency. This has been something that has been bad every single game this year, including last week. This week, 6 for 10. 60% on third down. Because of that, we didn't even go for it on fourth down. We were typically, more often than not, converting on third downs. And that was part of having this full cast of characters, guys to get the ball to, playmakers. I mean, everybody was doing their part in this game, and it didn't feel like you had one guy that shouldn't be on the field. You didn't have some... Jeff Smith or Josh Malone, who's just kind of slowing things down. Like, he's not really going to get open. It was a bunch of guys across the field winning some battles against a team that, in the Patriots, frankly, is just not that strong. So we exploited that 60% third down conversion, and that was a big reason the New York Jets found success in this game. Now, there's only one turnover in the game. That was for the New York Jets on a, on a bad ball by Joe Flacco, something that shouldn't have been thrown. The Jets made big plays in this one. A couple big bombers to uh, Perriman. Well, one was a bomb. Another one was, you know, 20 yards out, 20 yard out to Crowder as well. So we had some quick plays there. But when it was all said and done, the Patriots 36 minutes time of possession, the Jets 23. And this game really flew by. When you looked at it, and the game was basically over at like 10.50, and there was like three minutes to go, and you were like, geez, this is one of the earliest ending Monday Night Football games I've ever seen. Because the Patriots were running... And, Tom, and Cam Newton, at quarterback, was converting almost all of his passes, 27 to 35. Joe Flacco was 18 for 25. So there weren't very many incomplete passes. A lot of runs, a lot of plays and bounds. Clock kept ticking. So when you look at it, it's a pretty successful game from the Jets. They only had one turnover. They only punted two times in the entire game. I mean, their drives, if you look at them, it went field goal, punt, touchdown, field goal, touchdown. Then it was halftime, touchdown, interception, punt. So in this game, they only had eight drives, and the game just flew by. Five of those were scoring drives, and three of those five were touchdowns. This is much better offense, much better play than we've seen from the Jets all year. Unfortunately, the defense was consistently what it was. The defense has been giving... Big open zone holes to receivers, making it easy on quarterbacks to find 10-yard patterns and routes. Guys wide open. Jets don't like to take a lot of chances. Don't put guys on islands. Don't go in tight man coverage. They like to blitz because they don't have a pass rush. 
So they have to keep guys kind of staying back because when you're blitzing six guys, still getting no pressure, blitzing five guys, still getting no pressure, potentially outnumbered, trying to defend. You don't want to go one-on-one. So you have to do these deeper zones and you see, you know, Pierre Desir bails out faster than almost any cornerback in the league this year. But LaShawn Austin also giving some cushion, whoever's out there. It's a tough task. And uh, Cam Newton, the Patriots, they exploited it, basically scored at will against the New York Jets. They only punted once and had no turnovers. So it really wasn't an issue for them. But uh, they did turn it over on downs once. The Jets were able to stop them there. And you can see they weren't clicking completely on offense. The New England Patriots, the Jets did just enough here and there to kind of slow them down. And, uh, you know, when it was all said and done, they have a Nick Folk ex-Jet field goal with three seconds to go in the game. Decently long to try to win it. They knock it through. And the Patriots win this one. So that's kind of where we're at here. 0-9. We watched a fun Monday Night Football game, and, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of just you're caught in between because you really want to beat a division rival like the New England Patriots, but you do understand that this New York Jets team is getting better, and there is a lot of promise for the future. I didn't have my usual—I usually get, like, you know, a full day to grieve over this New York Jets team in 2020. Sunday happens. I take a nap after the game usually. A little sad, sad little nap. And I watch the rest of the football games, wake up Monday, go through a work day, you know, kind of just cope with the whole thing, think about the game, watch Monday Night Football, and then Tuesday, another work day, record the podcast. But the game ending late last night, going to sleep, waking up in a daze of just like what the heck happened and and how did we lose that game? And all of a sudden now we're recording a podcast. So a little bit more raw emotionally than usual. I guess it could be seen as a good thing or... Perhaps not, but let's see what is next. We are going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little What's on Tap. That's right, folks. This is What's on Tap. It's the section where I talk about what I'm drinking, and usually it's something pretty fun, something I want to talk about. Today, I'm drinking a Bud Light. I'm going to be honest with you. I've probably drank that on here before as well. Not only because I have them in the fridge, a plethora of them, but because I had plenty of alcohol last night, Sunday, Saturday, Friday, and... After waking up sad and tired this morning, going to a work day, and it's you know daylight savings here in the Northeast. It's dark all the time, and I just was not feeling like putting down something too heavy. Bud Light is like drinking water. This is basically my hydration. I try to just get my, my body back to normal, so this is just kind of like a, a baseliner here. Get me back to normal. Bud Light today. Nothing special. You've had it before. And that is what's on tap. So before we move anything else, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to do only one commercial in this episode, so it's going to be double long. So enjoy a super commercial set. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Alrighty, welcome back. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about the player performances for the New York Jets in this game against the Patriots as they lose 27-30 to at home on Monday Night Football. We will begin with the offense. We will begin with one Joe Flacco, who, as we've mentioned, played a really good game with a full cast of characters. He had good efficiency throwing the ball at 18 for 25. He was throwing it at a, at a pretty impressive distance per throw, 10.5 yards per throw, which is the highest we've seen from any Jets quarterback so far this year. 262 yards, three touchdowns, which is the most we've seen from any quarterback so far this year. Only one interception. He was sacked just one time which is pretty impressive, especially considering your best left tackle, your best offensive lineman on the team, was replaced early in the game. Joe Flacco had a 128 quarterback rating. He had a great game from Joe Flacco. He came out throwing the ball. He was taking chances. He was trusting in his guys. He was spreading it around. In this game, he threw to seven different receivers, or receiver, tight end, running back combos. So seven different players getting involved in the passing game. And he looked comfortable. He looked like a guy who knew what he was doing, and knew how to use his players. And when you're only sacked one time like that, he was not under a ton of pressure. He wasn't hit very many times. Just looking through this list, looks like he was hit four times total in the entire game, which isn't very many. He wasn't scrambling around a ton. He didn't have to do too many throwaways. And so when you're comfortable getting time like that in the pocket, you know, you're able to put a, put up numbers like this, especially when you have players out there that can catch the ball. And a lot of this is a big testament to the offensive line. The offensive line is playing better this year. They still don't have that dominant run offensive line that I'd like to see. I think Makai Becton is a huge part of that. I mean, early in the game, Makai Becton's in there. We ran like four of the first six runs to the left side, and we were getting big gainers on all of them. Makai Becton has a chest injury, leaves the game, which is fine. If he's injured, take him out. Chuma Adoga comes in, who's a pretty, he's a decent swing tackle because no backup tackle in this NFL is very good. If there was a really good backup tackle just waiting on a roster, somebody would pay him a lot of money to come in and be a starting tackle somewhere. That's just what the market is. There are more bad tackles in the league than good tackles, in my opinion. So Chuma Doga just being okay is a great backup swing tackle. That's what you want there. But Becton is elite. He is our best player on offense. He is just really good, and it was huge drop-off when Chumondoga came in, and we tried to run at the left still when he was out there, and the play got blown up. He fell on his back. It was like a minus one-yard loss, and you're like, ooh, there's a big difference there. And then he got a penalty, a holding call, and it was like, all right, this is just not the same thing. So when Becton is there, it's a better rushing offensive line. But I think some of those guys, you know, it would be nice to get a couple more gritty grinder offensive linemen, those like James Carpenter types who just like to Willie Colones, who like to just grind you in. And that's kind of what I'm looking for at left guard. I want to have a dominant rushing left side. Alex Lewis can easily be replaced. But when you look across the board, Greg Van Roten, Connor McGovern, George Fant, and even Alex Lewis, one sack on Joe Flacco, very few pressures. I mean, if you look at Greg Van Roten, I believe this year or this uh, game against the Patriots, he had like no pressures, no hurries, no QB hits, no sacks given up. He had a basically 
spotless game. And the rest of the O-line was playing well, too. Their pass defense, their pass blocking has been, it's getting better this year. It's definitely been an improvement over what we had last year. So pretty pleased with the unit there. That was an area of emphasis for Joe Douglas, as we know. He's definitely not done with it yet. We still haven't seen rookie draft pick Cameron Clark, so he could potentially be an impact player there. But regardless, I wouldn't be surprised to see Joe Douglas get right back to addressing that in either next year's draft or free agency because he really wants to have an elite offensive line, and it's definitely worth it. Moving over to the running backs in this game, it was a quiet running game, 65 yards on 18 carries. The team averaged 3.6 yards per rush. Frank Gore was the leading carrier, 12 carries for 46 yards. 3.8 yards, you know, it's, again, we haven't been a great rushed offensive line. We haven't had huge holes, and these guys don't have that crazy burst speed yet. Um, well, P. Ryan doesn't have it yet. Frank Gore is losing it. He's still got ability, but you know what I mean. Uh, Frank Gore had a 15-yarder in this game. P. Ryan, six carries, 19 yards, 3.2-yard per carry average. So he was actually lower than Frank Gore this week, which usually is not the case, probably because his long in this game was seven yards. Well, you don't pick up any big gainers. It's hard to get that average up there. I think that both numbers for both guys would have looked a lot better if Beckton stayed in the game. I think the game plan was partially to attack that left side. It looked like that early, but you kind of have to switch it up. When Beckton comes out, what else can you do? So those are the only two guys that ran the ball. Ty Johnson was only on the field for like one snap. He did not get any handoffs. He did not get any catches in this game. He's a guy that I think has some juice and some spark to him. And in the game, I like to see him involved on a few plays here and there, a couple of wheel routes, maybe outside pitches, just give him the chance to get into the open field because he's fast as heck with the ball in his hands. That's one thing the Jets don't have a ton of is speed. And so he's a guy I wouldn't mind seeing a little bit more of, but this week opted not to go with him. In the receiving game, now, as we mentioned, Joe Flacco had a good game. One of the best, probably the best passing game that we've seen from any quarterback for the New York Jets in 2020. Definitely was. And I wanted to give Joe Flacco offensive player of the game. I think for three quarters, I was convinced Joe Flacco, he's our guy. But when he threw that interception at the end of the game, when the Jets had the lead and we just had to have a nice, successful drive, I get it. He was successful throwing the ball deep all night. And when that play was snapped, Mims was open. It looked like he was going to have an opportunity to be open deep. But the safety slid over, covered that play, ended up being double covered by the time the ball got there, intercepted by J.C. Jackson. And with that throw in that position of the game where it's like, we could have won this thing and you just gave the ball away like that, I said to myself, all right, there's another guy more deserving of player of the game who didn't have any major blunders like that and did have some incredible play. And that would be one Brashad Perriman. Now, I said he didn't have any major blunders. He did have one, a drop in the end zone that wasn't major, but we ended up getting points on the drive, I believe just a field goal. But Perriman had a ball that was in his arms. Defender's arm was kind of in between them, tried to break the ball up a little bit. I think that Perriman could have come down with that ball. I think a better receiver would have come down with that ball. But that was his only real blemish on the game. Aside from that, five catches, 101 yards, two touchdowns. His average was 20.2 yards per catch, a 50-yard log. He had one bomb, 50-yarder, that he caught, burned past the defender, caught the ball, got into the end zone. The other one, J.C. Jackson defending him, does a shimmy shake at the line, puts him on skates. J.C. Jackson falls over, ankles broken. Perriman gets the four taps, pop, 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 side of the end zone. It's all she wrote. Two touchdowns. Big game for Brashad Perriman. He also picked up a couple key first downs, and he was active in there from the beginning of the game started until the end. 
So Brashad Perriman, for the first time, is our offensive player of the game. 100-yard receiver, two-touchdown performance. Now, there's no, it's no secret I haven't been huge on Brashad Perriman. I don't like him because of his inconsistency. But where there's inconsistency, that means that you're not always bad either. You've got some, some moments where you can flash a little bit, and this was one of those games for him. The next receiver that really stood out in this game, and this was a huge one, was Denzel Mims. Rookie Denzel Mims, who we've been waiting forever to see. So far, he's gotten 42 yards in the first half of both games he played and then shut out in the second half of both games he played. We're waiting to see more. In this game, four catches for 62 yards. He led the team in targets with eight, but he didn't have any drops or any real big mistakes in this one. He had a nice 26-yarder, but I think what stood out to me the most with Denzel Mims is he catches the ball pretty effortlessly, and he runs a more complete and complex route tree than we saw from, you know, not picking on anybody, but a guy like Robbie Anderson, who was running the same sort of routes. Typically, Denzel Mims only has 10 catches on the year, but he's gotten them in a number of different ways. He's been targeted deep, short, going outside, inside. The most impressive with him, impressive thing with him, is he catches the ball cleanly, but what he does after that is he finds ways to keep his balance, move his body, and contort to try to get extra yardage, to get up on his feet. I mean, he almost broke one catch where it was... He was about to go down, did a stiff arm. He almost got back up and who knows, but had like a 60-yarder. I think that was the 26-yarder that he caught. Um, But he picked up eight yards extra consistently, and that's the type of thing. He's not just catching the ball and going down. He's catching the ball, and he's looking for ways to pick up extra yards. He's able to do it all, and that's the type of thing that you want to see from a good young receiver. He has the potential to be elite, and that's the reason that I had him graded. You know, I still got my notes and everything. I had him graded as a first-round talent. I thought there was no chance he was going to be available in the second round. When he was there, we traded back, and then he was still there. You know, I was like, what is wrong with this guy where people wouldn't want to take him? Because everything I saw from him was first-round talent. This guy could be elite. And to be honest, I know he got shot out in two halves in his first two games, but Denzel Mims has been awesome. And he looks like, with the ball in his hands when it's thrown to him, looks like a guy that's going to be a difference maker for this Jets offense for years to come. Jameson Crowder, the other receiver out there, he only had two targets in this game. Now, he didn't get the same snap share as Denzel Mim and Perriman. Those guys were both over 90%. Crowder was over 70%. A little shaken up in this game, so they played Barrios the slot here and there. Jameson Crowder, we knew he was iffy to go into this game. He did play. No reason to beat him up. I think that was good play calling. Um, he had two catches, 26 yards, but he had that really nice touchdown that um, was originally ruled incomplete, left side deep at the end zone. Got those two feet down beautifully, beautifully done. The second the ball hits his hand, it's caught. It doesn't move. It doesn't spin, rotate. It just touches his hands and body, and it's just snug in place. Two feet down, touchdown for Jameson Crowder. So nice to see him getting active. It's a good game when you look across the board. We had almost 200 yards between Perriman, Mims, and Crowder and three touchdowns. And those are the guys that we've been waiting for. We got a little bit of Jeff Smith on the field but no activity from him. We didn't have to see a Josh Malone or no offense to a Lawrence Cager, who's a guy I like, but these guys are so much better. And it just, it looked that way. Braxton Barrios had one catch for 13 yards, a nice little scamper where he got a first down. That was a nice play by him. Ryan Griffin had arguably the best tight end performance we've seen offensively in terms of the passing game all season long. What did he do? Two catches on two targets for 28 yards. But one 23-yarder was the best tight end play that we've seen all season. And he's still playing 
less snaps than Chris Herndon, who in this game had zero targets, zero receptions, playing over 60% of snaps again for the New York Jets. Chris Herndon is our Doghouse Player of the Week. We could basically give him a statue, Doghouse Player of the Year. It's becoming absolutely ridiculous how often this guy's on the field. He's not on the field to be a great blocker. He is not Eric Tomlinson or a guy who's out there as a specialist. Well, he's going to block, and sometimes he'll find a way to get open and get a couple yards. No, he's out there because he was supposed to be an athletic receiving tight end. And we saw that from him early on in his career, but we've not seen it this year. And how can you play 60-plus percent of snaps with a guy like Joe Flacco who's got time in the pocket and spreading it all around the field and not even get one target? Well, one way is by every time you catch the ball this year, you fumble it, and the rest of the time the ball's thrown to you, you drop it. So when you play terrible, horrible football like that, people don't want to get you the ball, and nobody has any confidence in you except somehow the coaching staff still does. I would rather see more Ryan Griffin as the year goes on. Chris Herndon's our doghouse player of the week, and he has earned it. He had a couple of receptions from the running backs. Frank Gore had two for 13. Pirine had two for 19. Every single week we see Pirine get like two, three catches for like between 20 and 30 yards. I think that's a good thing to see out of him. Uh, the other thing that was really nice about Pirine in this game was that he had a nice pass block on a play, a good pass from Joe Flacco. I don't remember to who, but we had kind of given Michael Pirine a little bit of flack a couple weeks ago because he had bad pass protection, and it was like, listen, you're pretty good at running the ball. You're pretty good at catching the ball. You look like you're set to be a running back, too, for a decent amount of time. But if you can't pass block, it's really hard to have you on the field. you got to learn how to do that. And he showed a good play in this one. He didn't have any glaring weaknesses pass blocking did show some strength there so if he's working on that and getting better it's going to be very important for his development moving forward with the new york jets all right so that is our offensive performances player of the game goes to brashad perriman doghouse player of the game goes to chris herndon we're going to move over to father time my dad in this one requested that i play the song Imagine by John Lennon in the background. Potentially. He wanted just a loop of basically the chorus. He wanted no words, just piano. I don't know where he thinks I get the rights for this and then have the time to mix all this stuff after work to play it. We kind of had a little conversation. He was like, listen, don't actually put the song in, but let them know that this was meant to have that playing in the background to sort of set the mood. I don't know if he took a little note from my Nutcracker, the... Uh, Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies in the background of the Robbie Anderson poem. Maybe he got inspired by that. But in any case, just imagine the song Imagine by John Lennon playing on piano in the background. It's like, imagine all the people. You know that song? All right, so that's in the background. This is Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. Verse 1, the game last night. Imagine having Makai Becton throughout the game. This would have tired out the defense because our 21-year-old road grader was making new roads. Our barroom bouncer would have been throwing linebackers, ends, and corners into the first row seats. We would have had more time in the pocket to throw, and, when we, and we would have held the ball for more time and limited the Patriots' time with the ball. Verse 2. Imagine having Quinn in the middle of the defensive line. This would have stopped the Rex Burkhead touchdown that totally spent Fadakasi and Lange, who were last night's two stars of the game. Quinnen would have taken 
on the center and guard all game. He might have stopped the fourth and ones. Foley and Quinnen side by side. Two of our best players, Makai and Quinnen, and neither is 23 years old. Now imagine a nasty guard next to Makai Becton. He's on the way. A solid new receiver choice. We need another top receiver, and he's on his way. Imagine a new solid corner so that Pierre Desir can go back to the backup duties that he deserves. Stand by. That is coming. That and much more. I loved watching the game last night. Yes, it was a tough loss, but we now have an idea of what the Jets can look like. The offense click clicked and new faces showed up on defense. Just use your imagination a bit and get ready. Go Jets. End scene. So great father time from David Burnham. Very poetic. Uh, imagining that piano in the background kind of gave me shivers reading it. I was just like, ooh. Um, first thing I think that comes to everybody's mind is where does he get off giving two stars of the game to Harvey Lange and Foley Fadikasi? I believe that that is my jurisdiction. And we have not gotten to the defensive side of the ball yet, so I don't really know what that is. We can give it uh, a father time player of the game for this one. We'll see which one of those two. we got to pick one, see which one earns it. But other than that, thinking about it, absolutely right. Makai Becton, game changer not being in the game. Game changer. It's not very often that you see a left tackle that's like, when he's on the field, it's a different team. Sometimes you see a team fall apart without their left tackle. You don't see a lot of teams that are just like, holy shoot, they look good. And you could tell Monday Night Football really wanted to highlight Makai Becton. Uh, it was probably a, a real pain in the butt for them when he got injured and left the game because they were clipping to him. They were showing highlights. They were showing numbers and stats and statistics all night long, or at least when he was in the game for like the first quarter and then he was out. They didn't get to do that for the rest of the game. But I thought this was going to be his coming out party where the whole world watching it would see him and just how great he was. Unfortunately, it wasn't there. But it would have been amazing to have him there. Quinn and Williams. Dad's right. Foley Fadikasi played a great game, but having Quinn and Williams on the defensive line there, just he is right now our best defensive player. He is. Some people are saying he's having an average year. I think that that's baloney. I think he's having a great year. I think he keeps getting better and better. He has the most defensive player of the games on the entire team so far this year for this podcast. He's super young, and he is a difference maker. We don't have many difference makers on this team. Now, like my dad said, Foley Fikakasi had a great game. Having Quinnen out there side-by-side side with him would have been even better. And like he said, Becton, Quinnen, both under 23. Those are the types of anchors that you start to build around. Now, when he talks about the other things, these are three of the most important things in my mind. And we, you know, group think ensemble idea. We watch these games together and we talk about this stuff. A guard next to Becton. Somebody else, another road grader. Filling in for Alex Lewis could make that left side dominant. You already have a dominant left tackle. You already have a really good above average center. You put in a dominant guard on that side. Look out. You are going to have to put extra guys over there on one side of the field than more guys than you want to or just suffer from two guys, three guys blowing you up play after play to just keep running to the same side. Left guard, very important. Dad says he's on the way. New receiver choice. He's absolutely right. Now, we had three guys in this game, and it looked good. Crowder, Perriman, and Mims, nice little combo. But as we've seen this year, there are games where we don't have any one of those guys. You need to have more options. You can't just say, we are good when we have three out of three guys out there, but if one of them leaves, 
we are no good anymore. You got to have more options. And a guy like Perriman is on a one-year deal. Probably not going to be back next year. Crowder, he's only got one more, one more year left on his deal after this one. He may not be back the year after that. So you really have to start the pipeline. It can't just be Mims. And you can't com- continue to ignore the skill positions of this team because that's been one of our Achilles heels for so long. And fans are tired of it. You got to have a pipeline. Wide receiver. Other options got to come. Dad says, on its way. And then the cornerback. Now we hope it's Bryce Hall. Maybe we'll have to draft one next year again. There's not a great free agent class coming up in 2021. So there's not a lot of opportunity to sign a great player who's under the age of like 32. If you're not looking at a guy like Patrick Peterson or somebody even older than that. You may have to draft one or hope that you can develop one of these younger guys. But as he said, Pierre Desir should be a backup. And he is one of those guys that can be kind of a game changer, make big plays, but he can't be trusted to be on the field time in, time out. He should be one of those dime guys who can come in and play a zone, and if the ball's thrown his way, he may make a jump on it and intercept the ball. And if you want to get him off the field, you have other guys that can start ahead of him and do a better job. That's kind of where his role should be, kind of like what Marcus Williams did for the Jets back in the day. So I like this father time. I wish that I had the song and was able to play it the way that he imagined, pun intended, but... We couldn't do that. I think that we all get the gist. Thank you, Dad, for the father time. That one was super cool. Now, the last thing is defense and special teams. We can talk defense. We can talk defensive line. We were missing Quinn and Williams, but who stepped up? Foley Fadakasi. He played the most snaps he's played all season long. He had an awesome game. He was honorable mention player of the game. My dad gave it to him in his father time player. But for us, he was an honorable mention. He was going to be player of the game early on. He kind of faded away a little bit more as the game went on. I'm sure that that snap count percentage took a toll on him. He has never played that many snaps, and I think that's a reason why you saw him play really good in the first two quarters and then start to kind of slow down a little bit later in the game. Now He had a nice forced fumble on a fourth down stop that was huge, turnover on downs, blew up the backfield. He had a couple nice other plays in there. I was pleased with what I saw from Foley Fadakasi. The rest of the defensive line, We didn't get any sacks, no pressure. When you look at Henry Anderson, you look at even rookie Jabari Zaniga, it was a quiet game for them. Now, Zaniga was not in there on as many pass rush snaps. Henry Anderson was out there for like 30-plus, Zaniga for a handful. Uh, Henry Anderson is not getting it done. He's one of the first guys that needs to be replaced on this team, unfortunately. He was once a fan favorite, an underdog story that we loved getting, re-signing. But at this point, he doesn't offer much. We also played a couple new guys. His name is Taraz Smart. Uh, we don't know him too well yet. It's Tanze Smart, I'm sorry. Uh, we don't know him too well yet, but he moved up for the Jets, played a little bit of defensive tackle for them. We saw Nathan Shepard out there for a few plays. Bryce Huff didn't have any sort of monumental game. The rest of the defensive line, you know, just a quiet group. John Franklin Myers, everybody. No sacks in this game, not a lot of tackles for loss. They ran for 169 yards on us, and we didn't get a sack. So defensive line fully stood out. The rest of them, meh. Linebackers, outside linebackers, Terrell Basham had a decent game, kept getting nicked up on this one. Jordan Jenkins, he's been MIA all season long. Frankie Lubu's not playing right now, so he wasn't out there. Um, Jabari Zaniga is one of those guys that you want to see step up into that role and kind of start getting some some pass rush ability because we've seen enough snaps from, you know, Henry Anderson and Nathan Shepard and John Franklin Myers to kind of know what their ceiling is. The one guy that we don't know the ceiling for is Jabari Zaniga. 
So I'd like to see him in there on some more pass rush abilities, maybe, you know, get a guy like Jordan Jenkins out more frequently. I know the position's a little bit different, but Jenkins is not doing much in coverage. He's not doing much on the perimeter of the field. He's basically just bull rushing, and he's not even out there for all the snaps anyway. So I think that you could definitely shift some of those over. The other linebackers, you look at Neville Hewitt, seven tackles. The guy is slow, can't cover, but he's one of the surest tacklers that we have on this team. Maybe the best. Our player of the game is the other linebacker, Harvey Lange. What? Now, I've always called him Harvey Lange. People on TV like to call him Harvey Longy. I don't trust him because I don't think any of them even know who he is because we hardly know who he is. I mean, we've been talking about him for the last couple of years. He's been on the team, but it's not like he's some household name. And I don't know. I'm going to call him Harvey Lange for now until we can get a, a clear your idea of what it's supposed to be. 10 tackles in this game for Harvey Lange. He had one quarterback hit, which could have been a sack. He had two opportunities, missed it both times. But what was great about Harvey Lange, he was all over the field. He was playing with a reckless abandon. He was hitting the hole really hard. He was jumping at the snap count. He was playing the line of scrimmage great. And he was consistently making his presence felt. He was the one guy in the defense that you were just like, wow, that's Harvey Lange again. What is he doing out there? Harvey Lange again. And it's really funny because, again, it's no secret that I have been a little hard on Harvey Lange. I'm not a big fan of him. I think that he has been on this team for a long enough time and gotten enough snaps for me to see that he's not some end result starter. But he had a lot of confidence in this game with Avery Williamson gone. This was his best performance to date, and maybe he's going to build off of it. When the game starts, we're three, four plays in. Harvey Lange's out there. I text my dad, too much Harvey Lange. My dad's mentioning... We could probably play with 10 guys on the field. We don't need that guy out there. By the time the game is over, we're texting each other. This guy is definitely player of the game. Holy moly, he is everywhere. I got other friends, Mitch from the board. I got people messaging me. What Harvey Lange? What's going on with this guy? Where is he coming from? And it was kind of ingrained. It was like, what is happening? How is he playing a game where he's feeling like he's all over the field time and time again? Nobody else in the entire game on defense had that kind of impact the way that he did in this one. So you got to give him player of the game. Good job to Harvey Lange. I'm not sure if he can keep it up. If I was a betting man right now, I would say this was more of an anomaly. But you never know. Crazier things have happened in the NFL. I will be rooting for Harvey Lange to keep this play up because we need it. Going to the defensive backfield. The best defensive back that we have was Sean Austin. He's our best cover defensive back. Uh, He's the best cover corner for sure. And he's the best tackling cornerback that we have for sure. He's one of the best tacklers on the team. He had 12 tackles in this game. He had a nice pass deflection down the field. And yeah, we got a little bit torched by the soft zones that we constantly get torched by. It's not like he's getting beaten in man coverage one-on-one running down the sideline. It's just he gives a 10-yard cushion and they throw for seven time and time again. But LaShawn Austin's playing really well. And I think there's a lot of chances this year, or a lot of times where he could have won defensive player of the game. On the other side, Pierre Desir, he's so feast or famine. In this game, it was a lot more famine. Bryce Hall played for the first time this year. He played like 46% of snaps for the Jets this week. And he didn't play a really bad game. He did have one penalty in there. I think it was a DPI. But his presence wasn't felt. And I think for a rookie playing cornerback, you know, when you watched Lamar Jackson, we said, oh, he was really quiet overall. He made a couple mistakes, but other than that, didn't stand out. When you got a rookie cornerback, a guy like Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels like to target you. And if you don't see Bryce Hall standing out as having a really bad game, and his first game ever after being injured for over a year, I think you got to be a little bit pleased with that. 
I hope as the year goes on, he shifts into that Pierre Desir role that we can see Bryce Hall a little bit more frequently. And I hope that some guys actually kind of pick on him in one-on-one coverage and we can see what he can do. Brian Poole, he got injured in this game, so hopefully he's going to be back for next week. That's the rest of our corners. Moving over to the safeties, Marcus May, very quiet. He's not giving up big plays. Jets are making sure that we're not giving up big over-the-top plays, even when we're playing one safety back with Marcus May. But he's been quiet otherwise. He just doesn't seem to have that killer instinct that you'd like to see from a safety. The other guy, rookie Ashton Davis filling in for Bradley McDougald, who's in week two of his IR stint. Ashton Davis plays 100% of snaps, and he plays five different positions in this game. He's playing some outside linebacker, some cornerback, some slot, some safety, free, strong. I mean, he's all over the field being used in all different directions, and that's a testament to just his versatility and his ability to pick up defensive schemes that Greg Williams is giving him. He's able to play all over the field, not one-dimensional football, not, all right, you can go out there, but this is what you do. It's You're ready to do a little bit of everything. Now, he's not excelling in any of those areas right now, but he's also not floundering in any of them. Last week was his first start, and he got tripped up on a Tyreek Hill touchdown. He got picked on a little bit by one of the best offenses we've ever seen. This week, he didn't get picked on. He didn't look like he didn't belong out there, and he actually made a few nice plays. One nice tackle on the goal line where he read the play well, came across the field on the left side right before the end zone, put a shoulder into the running back, knocked him out of bounds. That was a touchdown-saving play. And then another one where he... Got a nice little blitz, got through, and hit Cam Newton with a clean hit. Hit him with his shoulders in Cam Newton's chest with a great, powerful hit. They called a personal foul on it, roughing the passer. So unfortunately, they took it away. There was another penalty on the backside of the field as well. So even if they didn't call a penalty, it actually wasn't going to count. But we saw a nice, beautiful sack from Ashton Davis there, a would-be. And we saw what he's able to do in that portion of the field. So I think Ashton Davis had a really nice week this week. Really proud of what he did. That basically does it for our defense. Obviously, Harvey Lang is our defensive player of the game. We'll see what uh, we'll see what happens after we have the bye week. You know, this defense has been moving around all season long. We've seen some players trade away, Steve McClendon, Avery Williamson. We've seen some guys come back from injury and some young guys getting pushed in, elevated like Bryce Hall, Bryce Huff, Ashton Davis. And we've got some other little projects and guys that we got some question marks on. We want to see what Jabari Zuniga can do. We want to see what Harvey Lange can do. If Blessed Austin can keep it up. And after this bye week, two weeks from now, playing against the Chargers, I think, again, that unit with Quinn and Williams hopefully back is going to be as strong as it's been all season long. And I'd like to see what they can do. So, decent defensive game. Special teams, just a quick section here. We only punted twice in this game. Braden Mann had one really nice punt inside the five-yard line. We don't get many of those, so that was a really nice thing to see. Good game from Braden Mann. Braxton Barrios, he had one punt return, just basically a fair catch. He had a couple kick returns. One was 28 yards, but the rest were pretty short, so nothing crazy there. Our special teams player of the game is going to be one, Sergio Castillo. Our Sam Ficken replacement, who was 2-for-2 two two on field goals with a long of 50 and 3-for-3 three three on extra points. So to date, Sergio Castillo has only missed one kick, and it was like a 50-yarder that was blocked where it was the offensive line's fault for letting him get through. I think it was maybe Ryan Griffin who let the defensive or special teams player get through to block the kick, not Sergio's fault. Other than that, he's hit more consistently than Sam Ficken and at a longer clip, longer range. 50 yards in this one. He had a 54-yarder last week. The 50-yarder that he made in this one looked like it would have been good from 55. Ficken's not always able to make those. And even though Sergio Castillo is a 
journeyman from many different leagues. He's like 30 years old or something, and he's definitely not a household name. Most football fans have never heard of him until this. But Sergio Castillo is playing better than our starter, Sam Ficken. And I'm thinking right now that Ficken is currently an inactive player. When he is back and ready to play, I might be surprised to see Sergio Castillo relegated back to his practice squad duties. I think that from what we've seen from him, this guy has been pretty reliable. Even on Monday Night Football, a game where maybe you could be a little bit flapped. He's still making them from 50. I mean, I haven't seen him have a bad kick yet, and he's a guy that I trust. So, Sergio Castillo, special teams player of the week. You'll love to see it. So, that's our offense, defense, and special teams. And in reality, that kind of does it for this episode because we don't have much to look forward to next week. It's just a bye week. I don't know exactly what I'll do for the episode. I may come in and just talk about some rookies. Maybe I'll get a guest on. Maybe I'll talk state of the franchise or something. I'm not entirely sure. We'll see what inspires me. Um, In reality, in an 0-9 season, I'm probably going to try to keep it kind of quick. I think I always say that, but this a bye week on an 0-9 season might be the perfect time to do it. But we'll see. I've got six, seven days to figure it out. And that's it. No preview. Watch the Patriots against the Ravens, Bills against the Cardinals, Dolphins against the Chargers, and enjoy the rest of the football going on this week. Root for the Jaguars because they've got that one win, and even though I want the Jets to win, it would be nice to be able to win and then still have the first overall pick. So the only way that that can happen is if the Jaguars win. So let's root for Jake Luton and that team. See if they can take on the Packers this week. A miracle. Crazier things have happened. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe wherever podcasts are found. This is under the Gangrene Nation podcast series title. This is The Jet Life. If you're looking for more information on the New York Jets that I've got, follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Feel free to engage. We can talk. I mean, if you got a bunch of stuff you want to talk about in the bi-week special, we can make it a sort of mailbag thing. You can send over some ideas. I'm happy to cover anything you want. I mean, we got all the time in the world here. <sighs> That's it. That's all we got. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 